Well, church family, last week we talked about the life, rhythms, and values of the early church. And we walked through Acts 2, 41 to 47. Uh, and when we did that, we unpacked, yes, the identity of the early church, but also the identity of us as a church by exploring how our four core values were embodied by the early church. Uh, how the early church was uh, intentionally multiplying, courageously generous, incredibly welcoming, and relentlessly missional. So today, we're going to focus our, uh, this entire message on that last core value, relentlessly missional. And we're going to be talking about how the early church was relentlessly missional through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. After all, without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, our efforts would be futile, right? No matter how relentless or persistent we might try to be, without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, my preaching would be futile. Without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, our worship would be futile. Our ministry to new Canadians, to those who are low income, into the prisons and to those who are sexually exploited here in Greater Edmonton, our ministry in each and every one of these areas would be futile without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Our ministry overseas in and through our international missionaries and, and our ministries here to kids, youth, young adults, adults and seniors, it would all be futile without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Right, without our, our discipleship, our, our evangelism, our leadership, everything we try to do without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, like why would we even try? Well, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Let's start our message off um, here with our value that, dear church, we are relentlessly missional. Uh, have you ever heard of that phrase, you can't see the forest from the trees? Anyone? See the, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty common phrase. And sometimes we get a different perspective when we just zoom out and look at the forest instead of individual trees. Well, last week, uh, when we were walking through Acts 2, we saw how the early church embodied being intentionally multiplying by zooming in and looking at verse 41 and 40, or 42 and 43. And then we saw how the church was courageously generous by zooming in and looking at 44 and 45. And then we saw how the church was incredibly welcoming uh, by looking at verse 46 and 47. So we zoomed into each of these verses. If we were to zoom out, uh, what we would notice and what we'll see as we read this is that our fourth core value is actually embodied as the fruit of all of this, as the fruit in verse 41 to 47. So let's take a look, starting from verse 41. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Can you see it here? Because the early church was relentlessly missional, we see here that 3,000 people were added to them. 
because the early church was relentlessly missional, we see that everyone was filled with awe and that they then enjoyed the favor of all the people. And in the last verse, every day, as a result of being relentlessly missional, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So if that's the fruit of being relentlessly missional, what does it then mean to be relentlessly missional? What does that look like? Well, take a look at... um, well, actually, before we do that, um, I wanted to first point out that we can be relentlessly missional by noticing and accepting. So when you think about that, right, it starts with noticing that we can be relentlessly no- missional by noticing that there are indeed spiritually sleep and dead people all around us. We can be relentlessly missional by first noticing the opportunities that God places in front of us daily for us to love our neighbors and noticing that we are blessed to be a blessing to others. So yes, you know, we can be relentlessly missional by first noticing, but then we need to accept, right? Accept Jesus's invitation to play an active role with him and through him to awaken those around us to King Jesus. That's why when we read the scriptures in John 20, 21, Jesus says this, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And then in Matthew 28, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus was inviting us inviting his disciples, including us today, to continue the mission that he came to start, to seek and to save the lost and to awaken the spiritually sleeping and dead to him. In other words, Jesus was commissioning us onto his mission. You know, that word commission is an interesting word. It's actually made up of two words in the Latin come, which means with and together, and meter, which means to release, let go, or send. So commissioning actually means to unite together the one sending with the one going. So the one going is actually on a mission. They are commissioned by the one on, and on behalf of the one sending them. So what this means is that the one going is actually fully entrusted, fully entrusted by the one sending, as if the one sending was actually going themselves. So being relentlessly missional means that we are Jesus' co-workers. We are fully commissioned by him to continue his mission. You know, this is how it was with the early church. Uh, they didn't live inward, hidden, um, and, and lives all alone they, where they were more or less preoccupied with quote-unquote church activity that they neglected their neighbors around them. That's not how the early church lived. Rather, the early church followed Jesus' his example of living entirely on mission or, or living relentlessly missional because they weren't fearful. The early church wasn't timid. They, they weren't worried to talk about spiritual matters. They weren't worried to talk about the things of the soul or, or who Jesus was to them, is to them, what he means to them what effect he has on their lives. They they weren't afraid to talk about Jesus. And they didn't compartmentalize their faith to a building or to a particular time of day. No, the early church worshipped 
daily. And just as their worship was daily, so was their witness. And so was their mission. Okay, so if you're wondering now, okay, how do I do that then? How do I live in a relentlessly missional way? Well, that's why we have the acronym BLESS. And BLESS, you've probably heard us talk about this uh, over the last several years, but this acronym, the reason we keep on bringing up is because it's probably the, the easiest way, the most memorable way to remember how to live and be relentlessly missional. Take for consideration the first letter, which is B, begin with prayer. You know, what would it look like if every day you woke up and after thanking and praising God for giving you the breath in your lungs, uh, you then said, hey, so Jesus, just as you gave me this breath in my lungs, I want to give you my life. Here I am, Lord. What would you have for me? And every day I pray through my calendar and my appointments and everything that I'm about to do and then pray after praying through that, okay, so Jesus, help me be so sensitive to you that I would know when to stray from what I have already planned, that I would notice you in the everyday and the everything. So what would it look like to begin our days in that way with prayer and then as we went about our day to listen, to listen with one ear uh, to those around us to the needs of those around us. You know, not just talking about what's going on, uh, but, but really asking them about the things deeply in their heart. You know, when you ask them, hey, how are you doing? And they say, good, you know, stop them. Be like, no, no, how are you really doing? You know, and listening to that with one ear and then in the other ear, uh, listening to what the Holy Spirit might want to say to you and through you to them. And as we do that, finding opportunities then to eat with them, to have tea or coffee with them, just relationally connecting with them. And, and you know what, as we do this, as we begin with prayer, as we listen, as we find opportunities then to eat together with those we live, work, study, and play with, opportunities will naturally arise for us to serve. Jesus came not to be served, but to, su but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So look for opportunities to serve them. And you know what? I guarantee you, as you do each and every one of these things, opportunities will arise for you to then share your story with them. What God has done in your life, who Jesus is, what he's done for you, why you gather together with others like this. And you know, as you do that, and as you share your story, an opportunity will arise for you to then share the story of God with them. You know, when we live a bless-shaped life, we are living like the early church, and we're living out our core value of being relentlessly missional. You know, if you've been watching the playoffs, you've probably noticed a particular type of commercial come up over and over again. And I'm not talking about this skip the dishes commercial, because this one is awesome. I love every time this one comes up, because it is hilarious, especially when the cat crawls and the cat even has smudges on them. You know, they in fact printed 75, uh, they made 75 of these pants, 75, and they handed them out to people. <laughs> it's incredible, playoff pants. Uh, okay, so I'm not talking about that commercial. I'm talking about another type of commercial. Perhaps you know what I'm talking about. All those gambling ads, right? Like, it's so obnoxious. How many gambling ads are coming up on TV, and you know, I remember telling my kids about Wayne Gretzky, 
and how a lot of people are comparing Connor McDavid to him. And, and then my kids asked, they're like, oh, so dad, what, what does Wayne Gretzky look like? And I was about to pull up my phone and show them a picture of Gretzky. And then he showed up on my TV, <laughs> right? Uh, and then my kids were like, wait, wait a second. Uh, he's the great one? He doesn't look so great to us. He actually looks a little creepy. <laughs> I bring this up, right? Um, I bring this up because I guarantee you that every single one of those companies, those gambling companies, they would say that they, they would call themselves relentlessly missional too, wouldn't they? I, these companies are noticing the blue ocean of online gambling in Canada, and they're trying to play to people's boredom. Sorry, I mean they're trying to prey on people's boredom and greed by putting up these ads, right? Hey, if you play with us, you'll be playing with Gretzky. If you play with us, life will be better. You'll get more money. You'll be easier to win. And you know what? Each of these companies, they have a mission to take your money, and they've commissioned other people like Gretzky to be about their mission. Well, that's what these companies are doing. There's only one, but you know what? When you think about it, there's one key difference between them and the church. Okay, maybe not just one. <laughs> there's a lot of differences between them and the church. Uh, but if we were to only uh, point out one or talk about one, it would be that we have the Holy Spirit. So dear church, yes, we are relentlessly missional, but dear church, we also have the Holy Spirit. After Jesus said to his disciples in John 20, 21, take a look at this, okay? Um, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Take a look at what Jesus says right after that. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, what? Receive the Holy Spirit. He didn't just say, as the Father has sent me, I send you, so now go and be relentlessly missional. No, before he sent him out, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then after Jesus commissioned his disciples in Matthew 28, 18 to 20 to go and make disciples of all nations, in Acts 1, 8, he says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So when Jesus gave us this commission and invited us to play an active role in us, with us, and through, with him and through him to go and make disciples of all nations, he wasn't asking us to do it alone, right? I mean, he wasn't asking us to awaken the spiritually sleeping and dead alone. He wasn't asking us or expecting us to do any of this alone. He was inviting us to be his co-workers together with him. That's why he says in both of these verses that the Holy Spirit will be with us that we will receive the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will empower us. Just think about this, right? To try and be relentlessly missional as individuals and thus corporately as a church, right? It'd be difficult, wouldn't it be? I mean, it wouldn't just be difficult, it'd be futile. I mean, it would be impossible. Like literally, it would be impossible to try and be relentlessly missional without the Holy Spirit. 
back when I was in high school, I started a Christian club with, one of, with a bunch of my friends. It was called The Promise. <laughs> awesome, right? Like this, no, it was a bad name. Um, but we called it The Promise. And the reason we started this Christian club is because we wanted to um, have an opportunity and a moment in and through the day in our school at lunchtime to pray together, to study the Bible together, and to pray for our school and to pray for our friends. So that's why we started this club. And we gathered and we studied the Bible and we, and we prayed and we did all that. But you know what? We didn't actually see a lot of fruit evangelistically. And now if I were to compare that to my experience in university at UBC and, and then at the University of Ottawa, um, I was a part of a club called Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as P2C Students. And when I think about my experience in that club, man, results are like night and day. We saw so many people pray to receive Christ and talk about and want to talk about the spiritual matters and the things of the soul. And for the longest time, honestly, I didn't really think much of either. I just thought in high school, this is what it was, and in university, this is what it was. I didn't think about or even wonder whether or not there was a connection until I was preparing for this message. And I realized, okay, wait a second, in high school, yes, I had prayed to receive Christ, yes, I had received the Holy Spirit, but you know, I wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit in high school. But I was in university, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why there is such a difference. Let me explain, okay, so the the moment I made the decision to surrender my life to Jesus and make him the Lord and leader of my life, we see in the scriptures that in that moment, I was sealed with the Holy Spirit, or I received the Holy Spirit. It says it in Ephesians 1, in him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When? When were we sealed? When we heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believe. So when You hear the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, when you believe and when you pray to receive Christ, in that moment you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit. Now although that had happened, I wasn't yet filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, which honestly, now that I think about it, explains a lot of why my walk with Christ in high school was so up and down. Like it was, compared to my life my walk with Christ in university and post-university, in high school, it was so up and down. And honestly, I just thought that it was because I was in high school and I was young in my faith. But when I was in high school, I struggled so much. I was hot and I was cold and and I just, I was on the the one side, I, I would be passionate about following Christ and then I would be walking completely, I'd be denying my faith in him and, and I would, I was struggling, I struggled with habitual sin for over 10 years and, and I just didn't realize why I could never experience freedom and victory from it. But then I did in university. And I didn't realize until later that there is a difference, a big difference between receiving and, and being sealed by the Spirit and being filled by Him. So in Ephesians 1.13, which we just read, Paul is talking about a one-time event in Ephesians 1, of being sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then as you see on the screen, Ephesians 5, this is the same book, Paul is talking to the same people, right? He said, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, and now a few chapters later, he says, 
be filled by the Spirit. In Ephesians 1, it's a one time. In Ephesians 5, the grammar shows us that it's an ongoing, continuous, be filled and continually be filled. And even when you think you're filled, be continually be filled by the Holy Spirit. It's this continuous, ongoing infilling. And you know what? Paul's not saying this to the same people because you can lose the Holy Spirit. You can't. It's not what he's saying. He's saying this because he knows that the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit can be muted in our lives. It can be constrained in our lives uh, through unconfessed sin and active rebellion toward God. So friends, uh, if you live a spiritual life, here are two things that'll happen. If you live a spirit-filled life, you will experience fruitfulness. In John 15, we read about being attached to the vine of Jesus Christ. That when we live a spirit-filled life, we are fully attached to the vine of Christ. I'm the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. So yes, you know what? Um, If you live a spirit-filled life, you will experience fruitfulness. But experiencing fruitfulness actually also means that you will experience suffering, trial, and hardship. Why? Because in John 15 we read this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit he removes and he removes every branch that produces fruit. Why? Oh, sorry, he prunes every branch that produces fruit. Why? So that it will produce more fruit fruit. All right, what we see here is Jesus is saying that being pruned is not an if, it's a when. That being pruned, that actually experiencing suffering, experiencing trial, experiencing hardship isn't evidence of the absence of God, but can actually be evidence of God working in your life because he's pruning you to experience more fruitfulness in your life. So you know what, if you live a spiritual life, we know that you will experience fruitfulness, but if you live a spiritual life, you will also experience power. Power for deliverance from habitual patterns of sin, power to bless others with the gifts of the spirit that he lays and gives and bestows you and and power to be relentlessly missional everywhere you live, work, study, and play. And we know this because in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's when you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on on you. So so Jesus is telling his disciples here that they're gonna receive power his power. I mean, just think about that, right? Jesus is telling them that, hey, disciples, you're going to receive the power that I received when I was baptized. You're going to receive that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you at Pentecost. That's what he's saying to his disciples in this moment. That's why he says in John 14, 12, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. You know, if Jesus just stopped there, that'd be awesome, right? Like that, that would be incredible to do the works that Jesus did. 
But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, and he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. How is that even possible? Well, it's because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and I. Romans 8, 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Okay, so that's the what, right? Let's talk about the why. Why would God do this? Right, why does God fill us with his power by filling us with his Holy Spirit? Well, it's not random, I can tell you that. In Acts 1.8, we read, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and this is why. And you will be my witnesses. The reason we are filled with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is so that we would be his witnesses. So just like Jesus was empowered with the Holy Spirit to equip him and to fill him for public ministry, you and I are filled with the same Holy Spirit to equip us and to fill us for public ministry. I love how the theologian John Stott puts it. Salvation is given to be shared. Is this how you view your life with Jesus? That you've been saved to share? Or do you see being a witness and being relentlessly missional as something that's optional? Something that's only reserved for pastors and missionaries? Friends, can you believe that we are filled with the same Holy Spirit that Jesus was filled with? Like just, can we, can we just stop for a moment and really think about that for a moment? Like literally the same Holy Spirit that filled Jesus fills you and I. The same Holy Spirit. This isn't like leftover Holy Spirit, right? This isn't like secondary or tertiary, you know. This is literally, we are literally filled with the same Holy Spirit that Jesus was filled with. Like that's crazy, so when it comes to being relentlessly missional, you know, and, and, and sharing Christ and living a blessed shaped life with those we live, work, study, and play with, man, words like can't and won't should never be in our vocabulary. Why? Because the same Holy Spirit that equipped Jesus to live the way that he lived, lives in you and I. And maybe you're like, yeah, but I still don't know what to do. Bless, begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and start. Literally, that's what you do. And you're like, okay, but I, okay, maybe that's what I do, but I don't know what to say. Well, praise God that Jesus said this in Luke 14. Uh, For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. <laughs> if you don't know what must be said, if you don't know what to say, gather, grow, give and go together with others like this. Continue to pray, read the word, grow in your walk with Jesus. And as you are following him, as you are going, Jesus will give you the words to say. He will. He promises that. And plus, we have the same Holy Spirit he has. Right, so if that's the why, um, let's talk about where. I love uh, what this one pastor and author, Tony Marita, says about this. Let's take a look at this quote. Uh, one of the great gifts of Pentecost is that all believers can now speak for God. <laughs> 
In a sense, all believers are prophets. No believer is a mere fan but a player. The apostles certainly led the church, but the gospel advanced largely through the words and deeds of unordained and uneducated people, informal missionaries. The church today, in fact, desperately needs to recover this practice. The only difference in a believer sitting in his or her home and a foreign missionary in the field is location, not identity. Every Christian is a missionary, and so each of us should ask, where do I serve? To whom do I minister? You know, I, I love the fact that our first pastor, the first pastor of Beulah, Pastor John Woodward, he was training to be a missionary to Africa, and God sent him to the Alberta mission field instead. So friends, if every Christian is a missionary, or no, let me reword that. Since every Christian is a missionary, our question should actually be, okay, so where do I serve? To whom do I minister? And when you look at the end of Acts 1.8, we see the answer to that where question. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, over the years, many theologians have talked about this and uh, interpreted this passage as meaning, or as, as, as being, in a sense, a strategy for missions, right? So you, you start in Jerusalem, where you live, uh, and then you go to Judea, I guess kind of like the broader region, maybe it's like Alberta, and, and then you go to Samaria, you know, Calgary, the people we don't like, <laughs> sorry. Just kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And then we ultimately then after we go to Samaria, we go to the ends of the earth, right? And, and that's, it's a good way to look at this passage. Um, others have actually said Acts 1-8 is a table of contents to the book of Acts. So Acts 1-8 talks about you will be my witnesses and that's the theme of Acts. And in the first seven chapters talks about being in Jerusalem, how to be witnesses in Jerusalem. Uh, verse seven to, uh, chapter 7 to 11 is talk, uh, there in Judea and Samaria, and after that they then go to the ends of the earth. And you know, both, val both perspectives are valid, and I wouldn't disagree uh, with either of them, but when I was preparing for this message, uh, there's there something I noticed. I noticed how in the passage, Jesus, he specifically and in particular mentions Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, Right? I just think about that for a moment. Like, why didn't Jesus just say, and you will be my witnesses wherever you go? Right, he, he knew his words were going to be recorded. So why didn't he just say, you will be witnesses, my witnesses, wherever you go and in all that you do? Like, that'd probably save us some confusion, right? And then in other areas of the scripture, Jesus is called... Jesus of Nazareth, right? Like, why? I mean, he's not just Jesus for Nazareth. Like, he's Jesus of the world. Like, he gave up himself for the world. Why didn't he just call, why didn't people call him Jesus of the world? Jesus of Nazareth. And then in John 1, it talks about how Jesus became flesh and blood. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I mean, that's very local. And then in the Garden of Eden, 
Um, God didn't just create man and woman and, and give them 20 bucks and say, hey, go pitch a tent and go find a nice place to live. No, he said, um, he, the Lord God took the, took the man, this is what he did, and he placed him in, in the garden, of not just in some random garden, but in the garden of Eden. Isn't it interesting how God placed Adam and Eve in a particular place for a particular purpose and a particular reason. I love how my friend Daniel Gross, he writes about this in his book, The Power of Place, Choosing Stability in a Rootless Age. He says this, we haven't been called to love the world in general. No, we've been called to love in particular the little worlds that we all inhabit. And then the American author Wendell Berry he says this about the power of place in a poem. There are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. Friends, since every Christian is a missionary, what if God is calling us to be relentlessly missional and bless those we live, work, study, and play with in particular? You know, what if God in particular placed you where you live, in your apartment building, in your condo, in your home, in your neighborhood, where you are, in particular because he wanted to place you beside your neighbors to be a part of awakening them to King Jesus? You know, what if you're living here not because your parents moved here for work some point in the past, or because you were born here, or because you moved here for work or for school? What if God called you here, set apart the place you are living in right now, place you in particular in that neighborhood with the people that are around you because he knew that only you could be there because he wanted to move in and through you here? What if here is your Jerusalem? And what if then God placed you in particular where you are working and where you are studying because that's your Judea and Samaria and he wants to use you in those places to seek and to save the lost? And what if God then in particular wants to train you to be able to go anywhere, including the ends of the earth, by first helping you realize that the place you're living right now, like right now, is your mission field. Friends, like I said earlier, my experience in high school and university was very, very different. In high school, I tried to be relentlessly missional in my own power and effort. But in university, I know I was relentlessly missional through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And the results speak for themselves. In, in high school, I, there was such a lack of fruit in my life and in my efforts. I didn't... Uh, help anyone surrender their life to Christ. I didn't see lives being transformed. Uh, we had a good holy huddle. Well, I, I guess, I, I think we had a good holy huddle. But we weren't doing what Jesus asked us to do. But in university, we were seeing people regularly surrender their lives to Jesus, like we are experiencing today at Beulah. And you know what the difference is? The Holy Spirit. 
It's the Holy Spirit. In university, I was filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit because I was experiencing fruitfulness and power in my life. And I still am. Because the same power that lives in Christ lives in me. So I guess my question to you, if that's, if that's me, my question to you is, are you filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit? Number one, is your life marked with fruitfulness? Right? That's one way to tell. Is your life marked with fruitfulness? In other words, are you attached to the vine of Christ? Are you planted by streams of living water? Are you bearing fruit? And are you experiencing trials and suffering and hardship? And do you actually see that as evidence of God's presence, not his absence? Because he said he will prune you and I. And pruning hurts. It is because he wants us to grow in fruitfulness. So are you experiencing fruitfulness? Uh, Secondly, are you experiencing power? Have you experienced deliverance from habitual patterns of sin? Or are you turning back to the same thing over and over again? And you don't know why you can't experience freedom. Are you blessing those who you live, work, study, and play with? Are you blessing them with the blessing that you've received and the gifts that God has given you, the spiritual gifts that he has given you? Are you blessing others with those? And and are you relentlessly missional everywhere you are in particular? If not, I want to invite you right now to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, to be filled anew with the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to be filled and to continually be filled with the empowering grace, presence, and peace of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? This isn't about being filled with something you've lost if you're a follower of Christ. That's not what we're talking about here. This is about asking God to fill you to the brim, to fill you to the overflow, and to fill you with an even greater measure of what you already have, the Holy Spirit. It's about asking God's presence to be stronger and greater than everything and anything else in your life. So if you would like to experience a greater measure of fruitfulness and power in your life, like we talked about, then I want to invite you to pray with me. So let's close our eyes. And before we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit anew and afresh, once again, let's start with confession. Is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Is there maybe even a lack of faith that God can deliver you from your habitual patterns of sin? Is there unforgiveness, grudges? Do you have a tendency to gossip? Has lust greed grasped your soul. Whatever that might be, confess that to Jesus right now. And after you've confessed, just repeat after me. Father, may I decrease and may you increase. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
Fill me afresh and fill me anew today. So that I would experience greater fruitfulness and power in my life. Not for my sake, not for my good, but for your good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.